Amen. The Word of God is so amazing, church. Amen. It never ceases to, it never ceases to amaze us. It never ceases to amaze me. I mean, its riches are limitless, really. And it's like, uh, the more you dig into it, the better it gets. That's the truth. You never get sick and tired of it. Let me tell you that. There's so many wonderful and wonderful insights. And every time you read God's Word, there's always... He always ministers to us, and um, we've been going through Paul's letter to Ephesians, and especially Paul. I just love his his style of writing is just so uh, is so incredible, and again, it's so rich and um, just lays out the framework for Christian living so well. And Christian, just not just Christian living, but ministry and uh, and family, and uh, there's so much in there, and it's it's good. To dig into that, and time, time again, we just get refreshed from God's word. Amen. So, if you have a Bible, turn with me, and it's on the screen. Uh, we're in chapter six of the book of Ephesians, uh, the letter, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And again, remember, it's a circular letter uh, written to at least six churches in there. And this morning, we're going to focus on a very familiar portion of Scripture. I want to focus on verse, uh, I mean, it's, it's a bigger portion from 10 all the way through 20, but we're going to focus on the verses 10 through 13. We're talking about the armor of God, and it's always exciting when we talk about the armor of God, because, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I remember as uh, a couple of times in youth group and in ch- uh, children's church, back when people used to have a newspaper, you know, every house got a newspaper every morning. And so we gathered all the newspaper one time and I had all the kids line up. We put all, we stacked all the chairs in the middle as high as you could go. You build your tower and we had all these kids uh, build their armor up with, and I think we, we dressed up four people with all the newspaper and tape and everything else. And uh, the idea was to knock each other down, whatever. It was just armor, and it was fun. It's always fun, this portion of Scripture. But let's read together verses 10 all the way, uh, chapter 6, verses 10, uh, all the way through 13. Finally, finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spirit, the spiritual forces of evil even in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. This really is, as we come to this portion of Scripture, this really is the end of of, uh, Paul's letter, and we definitely need to keep the context that he's been talking about uh, in mind, because this is typical Pauline or Paul's... uh, uh, pattern of writing letters. We talked about the first three chapters being so God focused on our position in Christ and so doctrinal and foundational for our faith. It defines for us, the first three chapters kind of defines for us what it means to be a Christian, especially of what is our inheritance because of who we are in Christ, nothing else. We've been granted, he uses that riches of his glory and everything we will ever need. It's kind of so much. And he ends with this amazing doxology in chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations for and ever and ever. Amen. What a powerful doxology. You know, he talks about who we are in Christ. This amazing doxology. (coughs) And as one commentator put it, it's his outburst of praise in response to all that God has done for us through Christ. 
And so it's amazing. And, it's, and then in his typical fashion, he puts in there, you know, that turn that we call it, therefore, that chapter 4, 5, and 6 that goes from there, from the doctrinal, now it says, okay, now it's our part, our response. You know, our Christian, our Christian uh, response to what we already have. Because God has given you all these things. Because that is your position. What does he say? Now walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And that kind of sums up or sets the tone for the rest of chapter 4, 5, and 6. Walk in a way that's consistent with your calling. Of course, with humility and gentleness and patience, tolerance and love. And then he goes on and on. And how do you live this life? Chapter 4 verse 23 says, by the renewal of our minds. Remember, it's reflecting Romans 12. Renew our minds. That's the picture. That's where the word of God comes into the picture. As we, we put on the new self by renewing our minds, we put on the new self this, that's created in righteousness and holiness. And so we renew our minds with the word of God. And then he also says, okay, how do we live our lives? By being filled with the spirit. We renew our minds, but we are also filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts and always giving thanks to God for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we walk? By renewing our minds, by being filled with the Spirit. And then comes the hard part, like last week, by submitting to one another. Out of what? Not because they deserve the honor, it's because of our reverence for Christ, our reverence for God. That's the portion he talks about, submission. <coughs> he talks about wives and husbands, how to, how to act towards one another. He talks about parents and children, how to act towards one another. Slaves and masters, how to act towards one another. And again, like I said, please remember, and someone asked me about this through this week, please understand, submission goes both ways. In all three of the situations. It goes both ways. And always remember that nowhere in scripture does this submission ever imply inferiority. Nowhere in scripture does it ever imply inferiority. Think about it. Jesus submitted to God's will. Doesn't mean Jesus was inferior to God. It doesn't mean that at all. That's the same thing here. We need to be careful not to read this portion of scripture from our, our current worldview that we have because that's when we struggle. That's when we really struggle. But like I said last week, a spirit-filled believer is a submissive person because we mimic Christ. We imitate Christ who submitted to God himself. And so the theme here is walking, walking the walk worthy a worthy walk, renewing our minds, being filled with the Holy Spirit, submitting to one another. And I was talking to a pastor friend uh, about this whole passage recently in the past couple of weeks, you know, about the whole metaphor of walking. Why do you think he uses the word walking? Why does he use the metaphor of walking? Because honestly, walking is not difficult. You know, walking is not difficult. And you know, walking is one of the easiest things we do for most of us, you know, and one might assume, and we were just talking, one, he said one might assume that him using this analogy of walking, that it's easy. That Christian walk is a walk in the park, and we know that's not true at all. That's not the point of him using the metaphor. The whole idea is something that we all, almost all of us do consistently every single day. That's the idea of walking is living life. It's breathing. That's, that's similar to that. We all do it. It's not, definitely not a walk in the park. Christian living, Christian walking is not the, living the Christian walk is not a walk in the park. And if you had a doubt about that, that's when we come to this portion of scripture. That dispels all doubt. Chapter 6, verses 10 onwards, it tells us plain and simple. Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. The assumption here is that it's not going to be easy. If it's going to be easy, he wouldn't ask us to be strong in the Lord, right? It's going to take strength, but not our own strength. 
And he kind of repeats himself. It's just the same words, the same idea repeated twice, right? They be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's not an easy walk. It's something we all got to do, but we can only do it successfully in his strength and in his mighty power. We're called to live lives worthy, but it's only possible. Only possible by His strength. Why is it not easy? Because we have a lot of things working against us. We really do have a lot of things working against us. And the first thing is our flesh. What the NIV, NIV calls, I mean that KJV uses the word flesh. And the NIV uses the, the, the whole phrase of sinful nature or human nature. It's just sinful. Our fallenness is a problem. It works against us. We all face the same thing. We all live in, if you use the phrase, unredeemed bodies. Yes, we have been saved. We are saved. But we're still working through so much. We're not yet all that God wants us to be. And so we're working through that fallenness. And that's what Paul talks about when he talks about the sinful nature. And in Romans 7, he says there is a battle that's going on and on between what? The spirit that lives within us, that's part of the new creation, and the old, the flesh that is in us too. And that's what he talks about in Romans 7. There's this battle between the spirit and the flesh. The spirit, the new man, the flesh is the old man. There's this constant battle. And how do we make it? But relying on his strength and in his mighty power. I mean, Paul himself says, you know, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. I mean, that's Paul talking about it. So, hey, we're not above Paul. I don't think any of us are. Again, in Galatians 5, 17, he says, The flesh sets its desires against the spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. The spirit against the flesh. There is this opposition constantly between the two. There is the battle between the two. And we are called to navigate that battle in God's strength. In God's strength, that is the reality of the Christian walk. The battle, let me put it this way. The battle is reality for Christians. And, and it's so true. I mean, the spirit drives us in one direction, but the flesh wants to take us in a total opposite direction. It's constant. It's constant. There is a battle. And please understand, this whole idea here, in this context, what we're battling is something that's within us. It's the battle within us. It's the battle inside of us. Again, we cannot have, it's not a walk in the park because there's a battle. And where's the battle? Here in the first part, it is within us. It's the battle within us between the spirit, the new self, and the old self. It's not a walk in the park. It's a walk through a war zone, essentially. That's what it is. Now, we have this battle within us. Now, add to that the devil. Add to that people who are being manipulated by him, the devil, to come against us. Now that takes the whole battle to like World War III almost. This is battle within us, but there's also this battle on the outside too. Both together, like we are hit from two fronts basically. So when Paul comes to the end of his epistle, he gives us these instructions how to live our life, and he says, be aware of the battle. The battle that's within us. But also the battle that's outside. And as you read it, you realize that this enemy that we have is a real enemy, first of all. He's an aggressive enemy. He really, really aggressive. He's had years of practice. More than us. And then he says, what? Be strong in the Lord and his mighty strength. And then he says, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly realms. We talk of the battle within. Guys, this is serious stuff. This really is serious stuff. Yes, we have the battle within. Yes, we have the battle from people around. Yes, we do. Especially understand that our people are not our problem. It's the enemy working through them. That's our problem. Amen. You got to take a step back and understand that before we were saved, we were in bondage. We were his. 
in terms of the enemies. We were his. That's who we were. We were bondage, our, our servants of the ruler of this world, that I would call Satan too. But then we are saved, and guess what happens when we are saved? While he, while he I mean, while we are his, he's okay. But now that we are saved, he's even more determined to knock us out, to take us out. Once he had us, but now he doesn't have us anymore. Once you were part of his system, now you're not. Now you're like that deserter that's out there and he has one idea to go get you. He's got to bring you, punish you, whatever. Now you're enemy to him, you're enemy to his cause and he can't stand that. And so there is a real battle. I know too many churches kind of sweep the whole aspect of the spiritual realm to a corner. We don't lay enough emphasis on this. Even though we fight it every single day of our lives, it is reality. One person says, he says, the enemy brings the full force of hell against us with one reason, to undo what Christ has already done in our lives. That's all it is. Undo what Christ has already done when he redeemed us. He comes against us. So how do we manage with this? How do we manage with this spiritual reality, this battle in the spiritual realm? As one person says, please don't ever deny the spiritual reality of a spiritual battle every single day of our lives. He goes on to say, God created the universe, but there is also a host of beings that occupy the space between this little planet and the throne room of God. That's the space where the realm of Satan and his demons as well as the holy angels. I thought it was a good illustration. And occasionally we get a glimpse of what's happening in that realm. I mean, you read the Bible, of course, we know the story of Daniel, you know. But we get a glimpse of what's happening in the spiritual realm. And again, like I said, it's, it's not, we don't address it enough in the church. We don't because we, we kind of diminish the spiritual realm of stuff. But it is reality, church. It is reality. Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation 12, it tells us, gives us a picture that Satan, when he fell, what did he do? When he fell, he took a third of the angels with him. So please understand this. First of all, in terms of numerics, two-thirds of the angels are the good guys who are on our side. The devil's got a third. So we always, that way we're going to win, okay? And he took what they call, of course, the Bible calls them fallen angels or what we call fallen angels. But... The question is, how does Satan operate? He operates against the people of God through a system that he has mastered over all these years. He's done it. Like I said, he has way more experience. And it's always how the devil attacks us is always going to be threefold. The world, I mean, the, the flesh within us, the world around us, and the demonic forces that surround us. It's all, it's in three dimensions. The flesh within us, the devil, or the, sorry, the world around us, and the devil that surrounds us. He's always going to attack us on all three portions. And I think coming from an Indian context, uh, I need to say this and something that we need to clarify, that Christians don't have to be afraid that Satan can come and live in them. We don't have to be afraid of that. We don't have to be afraid of that because no real believer in the Bible is ever pictured as being possessed. If you read scriptures, the only people who were possessed weren't believers at all. So we don't have to worry about casting out demons from, from, from believers. You know, it's, it doesn't happen in India. Like I said, coming from an Indian context, sometimes it's really different. But there's no indication at scripture from scripture at all. When Jesus cast our demons, like I said, it was always out of non-believers. And even from my own experience, you know, demon-possessed people are, do crazy stuff. They really do crazy stuff. Like I said, you know, they scream. I've seen them slithering on the ground. I've seen them growling. I've seen them try and jump into take this run. This young girl, uh, barely, I mean, I don't know. She was really like Cindy's size, I could say unhinged the whole door and everybody's like what are you doing she tore the hinges off a door they do bizarre stuff you know that's real it is real the devil does manifest himself but never in the lives of believers please understand that part and we'll talk more about it in a little bit but he cannot possess a believer because as a believer a true believers the spirit of the lord dwells in you you are the temple of the holy spirit there is no room for anything else in there 
Okay, so let's get that clear. There is no room as a believer, like I said, he can never, but, and we need to understand this part too. As a believer, the devil can never force you to sin. Let me say that. He can never force you to sin, but what he can do is exploit a weakness and make you do something. He can never force you to do something, but what he can do is exploit the weaknesses. And again, especially when we give him a foothold in our lives, he doesn't need much. He really doesn't need much. As still, like I said, flawed human beings, we still have our own weaknesses. And he attacks us and exploits those weaknesses tailor-made for each one of us individually. That's what it is. But it's important to not give him a foothold because it takes a small little thing to bring us apart, fall, so that we will fall. Again, so please understand, first of all, the devil can't take residence in us as believers. The devil can't force us as believers to sin. We make the choice. He just exploits the weaknesses in there. So, if the devil can't come and take control of my life, you know, if I am careful or anything of that sort, you know, he's not going to force me to sin. Why should I even bother with spiritual, the spiritual battle, you know? God's taking care of me. Well, it still matters. It still matters because we live in a fallen world. And in this fallen world, he still is the prince of this world right now. Yes, his days are numbered. I promise you that. Amen. But he's still the prince of this world. Someone put it this way. The world we live in, he says, describes us. There is a system in this world that is run by Satan. It's a sinful system. Demons work in that system. And the system basically operates by demonic powers through, most often, through human agencies. That's what happens. And that's what comes at us. That's what comes at us as believers. That's what we face every single time. That's what we face most of the time. Very rarely does the devil come directly to us and attack us. Yes, God allows that sometime to happen. Again, even when that's allowed to happen, it happens for God's ultimate purpose. We know the story of Job. God allows things to happen. But also remember, when he allows things to happen, he sets the parameters within which it could happen too. Okay? And so he allows. Sometimes we don't understand why. But remember, God is still in ultimate control. He is still in ultimate control. And so as we look at Ephesians 6, we have to understand that Satan works against believers by developing a system that he has mastered through the years. It is a battle, a walk that we all have to go through, a battle that there are no shortcuts through. There's a battle that we cannot avoid. It's a system, what someone called an obstacle course, designed specifically for you by the enemy or against the people of God. It is. That's what it is. And his primary weapon is deception. His primary weapon is deception. God, Satan knows that we are created in the image of God. And as created beings, there is within us, the, the, the nature within us is to worship. And what he wants to do is not worship God. He deceives us into worshiping something else. That's why we have false religions. That's why we have cults. All he's doing is exploiting the nature within us, which is to worship. We were created to worship. And he deceives us to worship something that is not true. Something as simple as, you know, you've got to work for your salvation. How many religious systems, philosophies teach us that? We've got to do so much to earn salvation when the truth is all we've got to do is accept what he has already done for us. Amen. That's just a deception. Amen. That's the logic, like I said, behind almost all false religions and cults. He deceives religious-minded people that way. And then on the other hand, so that's those religious people. On the other hand, what does he give? He gives them the other end of the spectrum, which is, hey, totally, you don't need God at all. That's why we get these extreme atheists and everything else. You know, so he gives us everything. Oh, you, you like to worship? I'll give you something fake to worship. Or you don't, man, you don't even need God. So it's there, right there, all the way across. He's laid that buffet out before us. As long as we don't worship the real true God. 
And so that's his way. His deception is seen throughout scriptures. And it's kind of the, use the word uh, that I find a lot more in the high schools. I'm irreligious. And you think about it. I'm irreligious. They use it all the time, and I've met an increasing, uh, increasing number of people who, who tell me, you know, the whole concept of God is man-made so that, you know, so that we feel bad about what we do. I mean, that's just deception. Amen. Do whatever you want to do, but please remember, you're not free from the consequences of those choices. Amen. That's just God's law written on us, on our hearts. Sometimes I feel really, and it challenges me. Sometimes I feel like God is so gracious. God is so patient, so loving. Sometimes I feel like he wants to say what he said to Moses. Step away, let me just get at them. But he doesn't do that sometimes. I don't want to get into that. But I just feel like that sometimes. His deception, like I said, false gods, false cults, and everything else, all the way to a system which has no idea, no concept, and no necessity of God. That's how he works in deceiving people, deceiving people. So you don't have to, please don't worry about Satan crawling inside of you and taking residence in there. Yes, but please remember, he's constantly looking for ways to trip you up, for ways to trip us up, tear us apart, trying his best. Remember this, he cannot, when we are with God, he can't pluck us out of his hand. He can't do that. But what he can do is Trip us up so that we won't live the life that God has promised in abundance. That's what we live a life with constant struggle, with constant fear, with constant doubt. Because we're starting to believe what the enemy says instead of believing what God says. Yes, we're saved. Yes, we're going to make it to heaven. But we're going to struggle every single moment of, the, of our lives because we trust his lie. Don't believe his lie. Amen. His one his one idea, his one agenda is to tear down what God has done in our lives. Yes. Rob us of that joy. Rob us of that peace that he has promised. In the midst of all this, now you understand where Paul is saying, hey, you've got, and there's no way around this battle, church. There is no way around this battle. And in the midst of this, Paul says, now be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. His mighty power. How do you get ready? Again, he says be strong. And it's kind of interesting. This is not for weak people. It's be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Like I said, with everything going around, going on around us, it feels like, it feels like, as far, I mean, the world is going further and further away from God. The influence of the church has shrunk. Let's not deny that. The influence of the church has shrunk from what it was even 20 years ago. But this is why we stay strong and take our stand. That's why we have got to stay strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Recognize that we don't have it within ourselves. We have to trust in Him and rest in his strength. Rest in His strength. The power, but we need to understand this. The power is already ours. If we read the first three chapters, He tells us that. The power is already ours. Of course, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. The Lord has gained the victory on the cross for us already. The victory is ours. He has taken up residence in us. The Holy Spirit lives within us, the Spirit of Christ, and all the power there is, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is ours. He said that already. Amen. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Amen. The same power that exalted Him to the right hand of the, of the Father. The same power that He now exercises over all creation. That same power is ours. Is already ours. <clears throat> when it talks about in Ephesians that we are the fullness of Christ, that fullness includes the power that He has in His name. The fullness of His resurrection power. Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in the inner man. That's 3 verse 14. 3 verse 20 says the same thing. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think uh, according to the power that works within us. The power is within us already. So the power is there. We don't have to beg God for the power. Christ is in us and we enjoy the fullness of Christ which includes his power. That's what we got. That's the strength. That's the strength. The strength is in the presence of Christ within us. So as we begin this battle about, um, against the enemy, we've got to remember number one, we have to have the right understanding. We have to prepare for the battle with the right understanding that we have got to rest in his strength. Amen. That's the understanding. We rest in his strength. And don't depend on our own strength. Number two, as we begin and prepare for this battle, we've also got to have the right equipment. Amen. We have to have the right equipment. The first is the right understanding. Realizing that our strength is in the Lord. That the strength is available to us and that strength is in us. Second, the right equipment, which he says, put on the full armor of God. That's the right equipment. How do you tap into that power? Here's the key. How do you tap into the power? By putting on the armor. That's it. It's that simple. And we'll look at the armor by itself because it goes all the way down, uh, verses 14 through 17. We'll look at it some other time. But please understand that armor has the strength and the power as well. When I was reading this and preparing for this, of course, I think about Iron Man. I don't know. Sorry. I love superheroes. He's nothing. But that when his suit and his armor come together, man, he can do, I mean, he can take a rocket that's a nuclear rocket launched at him. He survives that. Similar to that. Sorry. Jesus, Paul wasn't talking about Iron Man. But the strength is there. It's bound up in the armor. The armor is defined for us in verses 13, I mean 14 all the way to 17. We'll talk about it. But it takes the right understanding that I don't depend on my own strength. I depend on the strength of God. I've got to have the right equipment which is the armor of God. And the third thing is to know our enemy. You know our enemy. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Against the devil's schemes. The devil schemes. He's not just sitting there waiting. No, he's actively pursuing us to knock us out. Again, I don't want to take a lot of time to define Satan, but Scripture does a really good job that describes the devil repeatedly. Okay, he's not a figment of our imagination. Jesus believed in him. You know what I'm talking about? He believed in a real enemy. He referred to him, spoke to him, pronounced justice on him, uh, pronounced justice on him, and the best part, he defeated him when he rose from the grave. So that was real for Jesus. The apostles definitely believed in him. Paul himself definitely believed in him, writes about him throughout history. A lot of the church leaders and everybody else talks about it. So that the enemy is not something fake. He's real. The devil, what he says, Satan, the devil's schemes are real. He rebelled against God in heaven. According to Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, what? He was thrown out of heaven. He is the one who fell from heaven. Also described in Romans 12. When he came to earth, what did he do? He tempted Eve in Genesis 3. He tempted Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. He twists God's word and tricked Eve. He twists God's word and tries to tempt. And when he tempts Jesus too, it didn't work. He opposes God's work, Zechariah 3. He hinders God's servants in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He restricts the proclamation of the gospel as you read it. In 2 Corinthians 4, he deceives the nations like we see in Daniel. That's all he does all the time. He fights, and if you read John, he fights Michael, the archangel too. It's real. The devil is real. He runs this world right now. 
Yes, his days are limited, but he runs it right now, trying to knock us off course. He is a person. He's called the anointed cherub. He's called the prince of the world. I think 52 times he's referred to as Satan. 35 times he's called the devil himself. He's called the old serpent, the great dragon. There's a lot. If you go through it, the uh, concordance, you'll find a lot. But we've got to be aware. He's real and his schemes are real. We cannot be ignorant of his schemes. Like I said, his biggest weapon is deception. Schemes, of course, the word comes. The Greek talks about the word is the idea of stalking prey. And of course, we know Peter uses it later, right? Where Peter says he's like what? A roaring, a lion that is what? Seeking who he can devour. That's the same idea. That's the same verb, root word for scheme. He's actively pursuing something to trip up and, ta and trap us. That's his scheme. He loves to do what? Snatch the word away. If you think about the parable of the person who sows seed, it falls, the seed falls on hard ground. What does he do? The word falls on hard ground. What does the enemy do? Snatch that word away. He loves to do that. He loves, like I said, to twist God's word like he deceived Eve. He twists God's word. He loves to interfere in the life of the church by sowing discord and unity and by bringing all the false doctrines in. That's not man's thing. That's what the devil does. If you read Paul, that's why he wrote his letters. He hides the truth and sells it, sells the lies as the truth. In all these things, church, again, remember, he is working. He is actively engaged in battling us, and we cannot escape that battle. And trust me, again, it's not a walk in the park. Verse 12, it says, it's a struggle. A struggle is not against flesh and blood. People, again, please remember, people are not our enemy. People, we were just like them before we were saved, serving a different master. He's calling the shots. He's just manipulating them. For a struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The whole idea here is just to understand that we have a real enemy. The enemy is formidable. He does have power. He does have power. You can't just push him around. No, you can't. He does have power, and he already has a very successful system because he's learned how to do it for years. The rulers and authorities, of course, is simply most scholars agree this is talking about the different rankings within in the spiritual realm, just as the angels have their own ranking. There's ranking even in the spiritual realm, and I don't have a problem. That's what he's talking about. doesn't matter. But the point of all this is in verse 12, should we run away and hide? Verse 13 is this. How do we react? We don't react with fear, but he says, therefore, do what? We engage. We don't run away. We engage. How? Therefore, put the full armor of God on so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. What is the day of evil, church? I don't know if there's, there really can be a worse day than we live in right now. Like I said, we're talking to my friend about this whole portion. He's like, yeah, I mean, how far away? I think we are as far away from God as society has ever been before. And what else? I mean, it just gets worse from there because we're so caught up with self-idolatry. The day of evil, when the day of evil comes, what do we do? We put on the armor of God and stand firm. We don't run away from the fight. We fight the fight. Because when the battle is over, when the smoke clears, when the dust is settled, what's the promise? Victory in his name. That's it. We fight the fight, church. We fight the fight because the victory is ours. We fight in his strength. We fight by putting on the armor of God and taking a stand. We will never win if we run away. We will never win if we try to avoid the battle. We've got to fight the fight. But know that God has the last laugh. Jesus won that victory when he rose from the grave. 
The victory is ours because the battle belongs to the Lord. But we have got to stand up and fight. That's why Paul, I mean, it's amazing when he says, you know, we're pressed on every side. Crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because he is able, he has conquered, and he's done everything for us. He gives us the victory. Joy comes in the morning. Yes, it seems dark in the battlefield, but joy comes in the morning, church. You cannot avoid the battle. You cannot avoid the battle. That's the point. You think about it. The devil threw everything at Paul. You read what he writes in Second, I mean, in Corinthians, right? Shipwrecked, beaten, bitten by snakes, imprisoned. Through everything, and yet he says what? Man, crushed, but not destroyed. Amen. Why? Because he's got the power of God living in him. Because he has Christ in him. You think you're going to make it through life without Christ? Let me tell you this. You may make it five steps. You may make it ten steps. But you're not going to make it to the end without Christ living in you. That's just reality. Don't buy into the lie of the enemy that says, you know, God and everything else, demons, that's all just folklore. No, it's not. It's reality. If you read God's word, Jesus believed in it. The apostles believed in it. Paul talks about it. Why do we have to think about it differently? It is a reality. Spiritual battle is a reality. We prepare in the strength of the Lord. That's the right understanding. I can't do it on my, by myself. I have to prepare. How? In the strength of the Lord and His mighty power. How do I prepare? By putting on the armor of God. By knowing. I prepare by knowing who the enemy is and what his schemes are. You engage in the struggle. And understand that the struggle is not against humans, but it's against something more powerful, more complex in the spiritual realms. You've got to take that step of faith a little further. I know sometimes it's, when you think about it, you're fighting spiritual, supernatural beings and all that. I know sometimes it's overwhelming. It's just the truth. Yeah, you know, you're fighting something you can't see, something you know that is more powerful than you. You know, it can be overwhelming, church. But we can't run. We can't hide. Because the greatest power, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in us. Lives in us. We don't run away from the fight. We don't hide in fear. We don't avoid it. What we do is fight. Fight, fight with the armor of God in his strength and his mighty power. Resist, like he says, you know, at the end of it all, when the dust settles, you're still standing firm because we stand in his victory. We stand in his victory. Are we ready for that fight? Whether you're ready or not, you are in it. It's just up to us to acknowledge whether we're going to, I mean, it's up to us, I guess, whether we're going to acknowledge that we are in a fight. That it's a real fight. But we will make it. Because Christ in us is the hope of glory. Bow your heads with me at this time. Stand firm. Stand firm. It's such a call that Paul is making right there. Tap into the strength, church. Doesn't matter what he throws at you. It will not overcome you if you stand firm in his strength. You try and make it on your own, and I know a number of people, you know testimony after testimony. You tried it on my own, and all I did was get hurt more, get beaten up more, till I finally came to Christ and said, God, you take over. Christ, you live in my heart. You don't have to worry about the devil. He's not going to snatch you away. He can't snatch you away from God's hands. He can't do that. But what he can do is make your life miserable because you believe the lie. You believe the lie, you believe what's happening in the natural realm. 
You believe the situation you're going through. It's hard right now and you're believing that. I'm not saying deny reality, but don't put your faith in that reality. Put your faith in God. Put your faith in Christ who lives within you. The fullness, it says, I love what he says earlier in Ephesians 2. The fullness of Christ lives within us. That fullness includes his presence, includes his power, church. But you have got to fight. You have got to fight. We have got to fight. Please don't. And I say this in all sincerity. Please don't reduce Satan to what you're going to see on Halloween. Ah, uh, scary little skeleton somewhere here, guy with the, the Grim Reaper. That's no, that's not real. That's fantasy. Satan is real. The battle is real. How you do in the battle depends on depends on you if you're going to rely on his strength or you're going to try and fight on your own you can't avoid that battle are you going to put on the armor of God and we'll talk about that pretty soon please understand the reality of this I don't know how to convey this idea we were slaves to a master of this world but Christ in his grace and in his mercy like we've read through Ephesians 1, 2 and 3 reads down into that that murky sewer and pulled us out the enemy is not just going to roll over he's even more determined to knock us down He's even more determined to tell us that we don't belong with God. We belong right there in that sewer. He's scheming, looking, actively looking, stalking us. That's reality. But remember the victory. The victory is ours. The victory is ours, church. When we fight in His strength and we put on His armor, when we have the right understanding, we have the right preparation, and we become aware of what He's doing. One more thing, please. The devil, the devil will never cause you to sin. He cannot make you sin. what he's good at is manipulating the weaknesses you have Christ will give you the strength trust in him stand to our feet and worship him this morning I just want more I just want
Thank you, God. Church, I know there are many people in the world and who will just kind of make fun of us if we tell them, hey, we believe the devil is real. Like I said, they would rather have the devil in one of their characters at Halloween. But we thank God for His Word that is true, that reveals to us who the real enemy is. It tells us how He works. He's been working, like I said, for thousands of years. In that supernatural realm, he has been working. Lord, we thank you, God, for your word, a God that tells us and encourages us, a God, to stand firm because we have the armor of God. That guarantees the victory because we have the armor of God. Teach us, God, to tap into that strength, God. Your mighty power, Lord. Lord, and we know that the enemy's days are numbered, Lord. We know, God, that his rule is coming to an end. God, give us the strength, God, to trust in you, Lord. That we will live for your glory, God, and your glory alone. Thank you, Father, once again. May your word take root in our hearts. Let it not fall on hard soil. But may it fall on good soil, God, and take root, God, and in time bear much fruit. Thank you, Father, once again. Thank you, Lord, once again. Stand firm, church, in His strength and His mighty power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you guys.